This is the Roaring Elephant Podcast, the 29th of September, and here is my, at the end of this long, long, arduous saga, he's still here, he's still with us, co-host Jon. I can't get the <laughs> ring off, it's not going to work. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, we finally arrived at the uh, the giant lava pit, it's time to end this thing, let's do it. The promised land of Mordor. <sighs> Probably get demonetized now. Oh, probably. <laughs> anyway, yes, we are uh, at episode two twelve, and we are here talking about. There we go. All things. <laughs> Some live editing um, here. <laughs> as we as we wrap up our story around all things um, to do with the sort of the next evolution of of Kubernetes to a certain or for some people is. As a, as a cloud service and it, it's obvious when you when you think about it in the majority of cases people are consuming more and more stuff as a service platform and so why not can why not just consume your orchestration platform as a service platform as well the there are three sort of major primary contenders here with um, Google's uh, GKE, their Google Kubernetes engine. Um, you've got Microsoft with their uh, AKS, the Azure Kubernetes service. And you've got um, Amazon with their, uh, what was it ECS? EKS, Elastic e Kubernetes Services. There you go, Elastic Kubernetes service. Yes, originality so no, actually, is not It's not, easy, it's Elastic <laughs> Elastic Container Service, and its full name is actually Elastic Container Service for Kubernetes. That's weird. Okay. Yeah, but anyway. it didn't have an acronym for that, so it doesn't count. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it didn't fit the three-letter the three letter acronym, the TLA, mm -hmm. so it just gets shortened. It needs to be confusing or it doesn't count. Indeed, indeed. And it's been a, a, it's been a, a sort of a fairly predictable um, pattern for this. Google being you know, involved in the, the origin story of Kubernetes, were able to get a service up and running very quickly back in 2015. It's taken Amazon, uh, I don't know who Amazon are, uh, Azure and AWS a little bit longer. They both launched their services in 2018. And we've sort of ended up in this position where just like Kubernetes itself, these sort of services are all moving incredibly quickly. Um, I, I did a little bit of a digging around for a comparison, sort of uh, a decent comparison article between them. And it's incredibly difficult because the majority of them, you know, are written at various different points in time over the last, you know, between 20, you know, 2018 and now. And even the ones that are just, you know, six months or so sort of old still have, you know, at least the, the brief look I had, still have some fairly sizable inaccuracies as to what is supported today and what is not. The, like the, the platforms are moving really, really quickly, which is, you know, a good thing for innovation and pace of progress and all that sort of thing. But it means that if you... If you're trying to kind of pick your your platform of choice, 
that's probably going to make things a little bit trickier because on in, on the one hand, if you don't have a public cloud provider and you know, this is your first foray into public cloud, then this is something that you really do want to, to get right and making sure you've got the, the most up-to-date information is going to be really critical for that. But also mm-hmm. it's, it's a, I find the, the choice of, you know, which, which platform would you go for a little bit abstract because in the majority of cases, if you're already doing a lot of stuff in public cloud, you've probably already got your primary preferred public cloud provider. And that's the, that's the Kubernetes offering that you will likely end up consuming yourself. So I don't know. I don't know how many people actually go out and do a straight up comparison between them. I don't think you should because as fast as these services are, are moving, Kubernetes is moving even faster. And the SaaS services will always be playing catch up, but they will catch up. So if you did make a decision now based on Cloud X has this, but Cloud Y has this and this, I'm going to go there. Well, three months down the road, oops, it's reversed now. I think if you're going to go to a cloud environment, you're not going to go to cloud for Kubernetes. You're going to go for the cloud environment because of the amalgam of services that are offered on that cloud, the way they integrate. If you're an Active Directory user for everything, Azure has a benefit. If you're doing nothing with Active Directory, you have no Windows systems, Azure's not that important for you. Where should your Kubernetes environment live? In the environment that has the other services. And if you look at the different uh, uh, Kubernetes services out there, yes, they differ on the version of Kubernetes that is supported and the operators and things like that. But they also, and more importantly, differ in what integrations they have with the other SaaS services on that cloud provider. And that, more than anything else, is something that's not going to change that fluently, that quickly. That's something that integrations are hard to make stable, robust, uh, unshakable. So those things tend to be a lot longer lived than the minor version of the Kubernetes version that's running on that uh, SaaS service. So I would definitely not do the comparison. Sadly, these days, there's a thing called an RFP, request for proposals, where you have to kind of check the boxes and, oh, my sub-version is one higher than the other. So yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, RFPs have always been the wrong way to do things. Sadly, in some circumstances, it's the, less bad tool if that's how you say it but yeah no just comparing versions side to side sure if they're like three major versions behind don't go there but none of the three clouds we mentioned here are that far behind i'm also pretty sure that ibm's cloud and oracle's cloud have something kubernetesly and if they don't there's always IaaS and roll your own but uh, for yeah. these three, I don't think the version should ever be a reason to disregard or prioritize. No, but there are some interesting deltas between the the different uh, offerings. So there's a um, there's an article, and I'm I'm not going to share it because as as aforementioned, it's it's one of these areas that you know maybe it's. Uh, Maybe it's up to date, maybe it's not, but the things like the number of nodes per cluster, um, 
EKS is limited apparently to up to 100 nodes. Uh, AKS is up to 500 nodes. And GKE, kind of unsurprisingly, uh, supports up to 5,000 nodes. <laughs> and there are, a f there are still a few elements like that, things like service meshes that are either included can, can I hook or in on the number of nodes? Because yeah. that's actually a limitation that's not part of their Kubernetes deployment. The thing is, the thing is that all these Kubernetes services are based on an underlying service to uh, boot up a scale sets of VMs. And again, that's a connection to one of the other services on those clouds, and that's where the limitations come from. And yeah, yeah again, looking, hearing those numbers, I don't think many people have a problem with the lowness of those numbers. But um, yeah, again, if that's know, an issue, nodes, it's not just going to be for Kubernetes. Yeah, 100 nodes is, oh, I don't know, it depends on your scale. but mm -hmm. <clears throat> And also a lot of these clouds, and definitely for Azure, a lot of these uh, limits are low limits to avoid someone pressing a button and having a bill for a million. So you can always ask support. Usually, I, I don't work there anymore, so I don't know, but usually you were able to contact support and up those limits. So they're kind of soft limits. And then, of course, there are hard limits as well. If a new data center gets started somewhere, they'll have a limited amount of VMs, so they're going to probably do some uh, capacity scheduling, capacity scaling, resource management, things that way. But they're not, I think, they're not um, hard limits, and you can never go over that if you kind of can yeah. show I need it. Because it's a thing, the cloud providers need to kind of reserve that capacity for you to, if we tell you you can do up to a 1,000 nodes and you try it and you stop scaling at 10, that's bad publicity, right? So they kind of try to make that, it's a management thing more than a physical limitation, yeah. I think. But there's, yeah, there's there's a, a number of different areas where they they sort of, they have significant deltas between them. But as all we always with these things, like if that, if that particular piece of functionality or that particular part of that cloud provider's offering is important to you, you know, that's gonna that's obviously gonna influence your decision. But if it's not important to you, then the fact that it the provider does or does not have that makes no difference at all. So it's a it is a a sort of an interesting theoretical exercise more than I think it's a, a practical exercise. I don't actually believe it, believe many people are doing like a a straight up um, you know uh, Kubernetes offering comparison between different different providers like that they're they're mostly focused around other areas and then the kubernetes offering you get with your primary cloud provider well that's pretty much you know what you're what you're mostly going to be using yeah and again the integration should be trumping any kind of one more or one less number on a, on a spreadsheet somewhere because uh, you also don't want to have the bleeding edge running in production either there's yep. also something to be said for the slowness approach of having something that's stable and still, yeah, manageable, predictable compared to being bleeding edge and having something nobody else has. And again, if you're, if you're the, the, the Spotify, the, 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 the Netflixes of this world, you probably have a lot more resources to go that bleeding edge path. And if you're a yeah, more corporate user, manufacturing, finance, something like that, where you don't have that talent on the payroll. It's also yeah. something to be aware of. Yeah. And in that one, then, maybe something we've talked about earlier as well, when you do something like this from new, 
get a good partner, get a good uh, solution architect, yeah. whatever involved, talk to people, admit that you're new to this and ask questions. It's the only way to make this yeah. not safe, but less dangerous. It's always a bit of a risk when you do something new. So try to limit the risk, make it risk management. That's risk management all about. Make sure you're educated, uh, get good discussion partners and base it on those discussions on experience and not on a spreadsheet. Yeah. And I think the, the sort of the other areas, you know, you have people um, and offerings available that are built on top of on top of Kubernetes. We've mentioned OpenShift a couple of times. It's probably probably the most well known and um, most prevalent of the sort of Kubernetes plus kind of dist- or plus plus distributions. Given Meta depending on how you yeah depending on how you how you view it. Um, I also think there's a very, very significant sort of um, group of organizations and they are definitely more to your point just now of the the folks that are um, further down the road in terms of their skills and abilities and experience. But there's a, a lot of people that just use a cloud provider's infrastructure as a, as a service and roll their own Kubernetes and deploy their own and manage their own Kubernetes on top of uh, infrastructure as a service. You do need to have uh, a level of technical depth and you know a, a very very strong understanding of what you're doing to be able to do that. I think it's a uh, it's something that we definitely see on in the top tier players doing because they want that ultimate control over over what they're doing and over their environments. But for them, you know, that is their that is their equivalent of on-prem. That is their their on-prem infrastructure. If everything for them is in the cloud, that is their their premise. And so infrastructure as a service, rolling and rolling their own Kubernetes and deploying that and managing that, you know, it's it's a perfectly valid direction to go for some organizations. Yeah, I mean, so when you add a new tool, does it add you value? If you have the people to go raw Kubernetes, which gets less and less bloody all the time, I mean, raw Mm. bloody, I mean, it gets mature, it gets some polish as well. If you have the talent to do at that level, do it. If you don't, and you want to have more, you you typically will lose some flexibility because that's how it works. If you go to a higher fraction layer, you get, you're not able to change the nitty gritty anymore. Do you need that? No, you don't want to have the talent to do that. You don't need the talent. Okay, take a higher abstraction layer, and then definitely OpenShift is the the granddaddy of the the meta orchestrators out there at the moment. It's mm-hmm. uh, from Red Hat. It's good. It's mature. It does its thing. It's also available as a SaaS service, ironically enough, on a lot of cloud providers as well, which I yep. think is a bit of a double offering. I mean, makes it complex, more, more, even more complicated to choose, I guess, but. That being said, the name Red Hat, Pivot, uh, Red Hat uh, OpenShift, it has a ring of uh, trustworthiness. It's recognized. It's it's a brand. It's a good brand. And sometimes that's a good reason to go there. Yep. Indeed. Indeed. Now, another one so... you might uh, evaluate is uh, Pivotal, because we all know Pivotal from Cloud Foundry. We talked about it earlier, and we actually had mm-hmm. a comment on one of our previous episodes from a fan of Pivotal. Hi there. <laughs> uh, 
And Pivotal at the moment is also kind of going through a change where they uh, they got acquired by VMware a while ago and they've no mm-hmm. joined, according to this article, the VMware Tanzu portfolio. And that Tanzu thing, that's basically enterprise Redis Kubernetes. So the whole Pivotal yeah. Cloud Foundry is also moving towards that. And I do think that this is a potential serious competitor for OpenShift yeah. in the future. Because Definitely. at the moment, they're lacking that credibility, that brand recognition in the Kubernetes sphere. They have a big brand recognition on microservice architectures through Cloud Foundry, obviously. In Kubernetes, mm-hmm. that's new. There's going to be a, a, a moving day delay <laughs> happening there. But at, uh, if they do this right and they get it out running maturely, that could be a good one. And then you have the nice duopoly, I think, between OpenShift and uh, Tanzu, which might be good for um, innovation and uh, one-upping each other, making the whole thing better all the time, which is good. Yep. Competition drives innovation. Always, uh, always good to see. So I think for now that kind of pretty much concludes the the story like that this brings us i think pretty much up to date so conclusions you know what 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 do we think is is worth kind of highlighting from this or what are the the final points that you think it, it's worth our audience taking away well i guess the main question is should I, Mr. X, start using Kubernetes today or not? Mm-hmm. Tell me. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> it, it depends. That's yep. that. The only right answer. I mean, yeah. if nothing else from the last six episodes on the con- on the subjects, that's basically the takeaway I hope uh, our listeners got from this, that it depends on your circumstances, your load, uh, what you're doing, what your future is looking like, where you're coming from, who you're working with, what kind of culture you have. It, all of these things should pretty much make it, I'm not going to say obvious, but quite clear if you're ready. Uh, well, if you say if you're ready to go Kubernetes, it kind of means you kind of have to go there eventually. I don't want to say that either because it's great if you never touch Kubernetes at all, but it should give you a good enough idea if it's something that you should look at. Yeah, yeah, and I think the 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 resounding sort of message from from me is definitely don't just don't just buy into the hype because everybody else is doing it. Therefore, surely you must be doing it, and maybe you should. Yeah, exactly. All aboard the hype train, but maybe you should. Like maybe there is value, but that's the the key word is is what's the value to you doing it? Is it because you you can't uh, you know we've got an upcoming episode on on CI/CD continuous integration and continuous deployment. You know, is it because you you can't do effective CI/CD on your existing tech stack, and that's where your organization wants to go to drive faster innovation and you know all of the benefits of the the glorious world of DevOps. You know, if if that is the way that your organization wants to go and you've got, you know, all the buying in the world for it and everybody's on board, then Kubernetes is probably going to be a really important part of that journey for you. So you definitely should be looking at it. But 
yeah, look at look at the options on their own merits. Try not to just get completely swept up by all the hype. Um, as with all major technology shifts and changes, expect some bumps along the road. Expect um, a fairly kind of significant learning um, cycle. Expect to work with a bunch of different organizations that will help you along the way. As, as Jan mentioned, you know, have a good couple of partners that, uh, that you trust and that can steer you in the right direction so you don't fall down every single kind of pothole along the way. Um, you know, learn from people that have that have done a similar journey to you before. You know, none of this is rocket science. All of this is pretty pretty standard stuff for any technology change. But it still surprises me how often people forget about some of these fundamental pieces. Yeah, and also I think that Kubernetes is still new and maybe even niche enough that if you're going to go Kubernetes, be prepared to be an active participant. Uh, don't yeah. go in here and thinking you're just going to be consuming it if you don't have and it doesn't mean you have to be writing rfes and github uh, submissions every day that's not it either but you should be in a mindset that you will go out to github to find out things to learn things go to meetups go to get educate yourself it's not a yeah. box on a shelf you buy install and it's done it's an active way of living, I would say, which is always healthy. So that's yeah. one mindset it is. And you need to have that mindset already. Don't make the mistake of installing a piece of equipment, a tool, and hope that that will change your organization towards a more flexible, future-proof organization. That doesn't work. It's the reverse. They can reinforce each other if you have a movement to a culture change towards DevOps, DevSecOps, uh, flexibility, the loosely coupled architectures, blah, blah. Kubernetes, DevOps, the, the architecture, the technologies, they can help you, but they need to be in tandem. You cannot have the tool dictate or lead the charge here because that will, I yeah, that's going to be a disaster, I think. I don't see that working yeah. ever. Yeah. What else? What are, the, what are the closing thoughts do you think we should uh, leave our audience with? Yeah, I'm looking at the show notes as well. We had one there, which should it go for cloud or stay on-premise? I think pretty much already covered that one when we talked about the cloud. Yeah. Um, it's regardless for Kubernetes. It doesn't matter if it's Kubernetes or not for any kind of tool. Where is your compute happening? Where is your data being generated? That's where you should have your activity happening. If that's in the cloud, great. If it's in the premise, go on-premise. The tool, again, should be totally, uh, how do you call that, less important in that uh, choice. Mm -hmm if anything at all your turn yep i mean the i suppose the one of the questions is is this it is this the end um you know is there anything further that uh, that is going to develop on from here and I, th I think we actually touched on this in in the in the last sort of episode the where things go from here I think the the pace of innovation is going to continue, if not accelerate. And I, I I like the point you made earlier about the you know be come into this eyes wide open and expect to be participating in the community. Um, you know, following things like KubeCon, following the the blogs and the webinars and the, the stuff that some of the major players um, are putting out in this space 
because it is evolving incredibly fast and innovations are being made at you know all along this the cycle and it's going to be something that will be you know will continue mm -hmm. now there will be a certain level of maturity and in, in yeah. some parts of this area and some parts of the stack and as we said last episode i can i can definitely imagine a point where you know the underlying kubernetes engine probably becomes something as as ubiquitous and as you know quote unquote dull as linux you know that people don't rant and rave about how well most people don't don't rant and rave about uh, how they're how they're using linux in their um in their sort of uh, microservices architectures it's just taken for for granted that yeah. you know there's a linux kernel um you know those containers are running you know have linux in them the the processes are running on a linux kernel and that is just that's just what happens no one's thinking about it really no one's really doing a great deal about it sure you know security folks are making sure that everything's cves are patched and no vulnerabilities and that sort of thing but that's very different from you actively thinking about oh what's the next kind of change that's happening in that space it's a, it's a far it's a far slower cycle now so yeah. yeah i can see that in the future but i think it's a way in the future i still think there's a lot of um a lot of fast-paced innovation that's happening in this space right now yeah but i would though say that today is a better day to start running kubernetes than a week ago analog analogy because it's still changing a lot but at the moment the focus of innovation in the Kubernetes experience is to make it more user-friendly to have yeah. a little bit polished there the basis there that the, the components are there uh, the problem was that last week and i'm paraphrasing you had to go into a yaml file and do it all by hand now it's getting more automated the operator system is more mature more organizations companies products have added operators to the stack to make that easy again yeah today it's a lot e it's not easy it's still an effort and something to be prepared to do it's mm -hmm. it's an undertaking trust me but it's a lot easier today and i think if you wait another couple well let's say a year maybe two years the maturization or the polish phase will be finished and they'll start ramping up again and adding new real different technologies making it harder to adopt again so i do think that now is a pretty good moment mm. to have a softer landing than you might have on different <laughs> on other times that's my personal so, feeling yeah maybe i i don't know i i kind of think that i, I suppose rather than rather than going through this sort of this this platform of of or this cycle of it uh getting easier and then getting more complicated again i suppose i i kind of think that it's going to be more more like the the core of, of things are going to stabilize and slow down and the the innovation happening in in that kind of slice if you like is more likely to stabilize mm -hmm. and what will change is other stuff gets added onto it i don't think i don't nobody knows at this point but i don't <laughs> think that we're you know, going to see huge like rewrites of of 
like all the way across the entire kind of Kubernetes environment, like throwing everything out that uh, the way that it's done today. Typically, what you see happening is that when that core thing has stabilized and we have a lot of these add-ons, at a certain point, there's so much technical death that makes it harder to add this stuff that there comes a rewrite or a reimagining of certain parts of the entire part of the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. So, and that's what I mean, basically. Now we're in this phase okay. where this is stable and you can kind of pick and choose which of the nice-to-haves you want to deploy. But one in a couple of years, you will have probably a major upgrade, let's call it a major upgrade, and that yeah. will make it harder again because then all of these nice-to-haves will have to play catch-up. depends on how the project handles all of this, of course. That also gets more mature over time. But that's basically yeah. the idea that I had. That at the moment, this is stable. You can live without this, but using it is useful. So you can kind of have that softer landing that basically was... Uh, yeah, okay, that, that makes sense. And I think that your point around the, the, the maturity of the, um, the community and the, the ecosystem, I think, yeah, that, that will make a significant sort of difference to how easy it is to adopt. There's so much more information out there. There's so much more um, help and guidance and material that... I think we are, yeah, we are in one of the best times that you could possibly sort of start this journey right now. So today yeah. is the best day, and tomorrow Always. will be even better. God, I'm but don't wait till now. tomorrow. Not <laughs> <Start> today. <laughs> and on that note, any closing closing thoughts, or did we go through it? No, nope, I think we're done. If our audience has any more questions remaining, I really don't see how. But if you do, let us know and we'll definitely pick them up sometime in the future. But that is all the time we have for Introduction to Containers and Kubernetes. <laughs> the clickbait title will finally go away. We promise, more or less. You can support the podcast, you can become a patron, every contribution helps through YouTube, like, subscribe, hit that notification bell. As Dave alluded to, we are going to do a session on CICD with a very special guest. If you don't want to miss that one, hit the notification bell and make sure you don't miss it. You can go to www.roaringalpha.org. There's a link there to the Patreon page and more information about the podcast. You can follow us on Twitter using the at RoaringElephant tag, and you can send feedback to the slow mail of podcast at RoaringElephant.org. Until next time, my name is all cubed out. Yum. And my name is finally done with this saga and boy, my feet are sore, Dave. <laughs> I look forward from the top of Mount Mordor. There's doom. a mountain order. More doom. Mount doom. Thinking. Anyway, from there, talk, I will talk to you next week again. Goodbye. See you then. I didn't do that well. It's fine. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs>